Bible Worm, Bible Worm, reading the Bible with Bible Worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week we're reading Matthew 13, 24-43, Jesus' Parables of the Kingdom. We talk about how to read parables and why we think Jesus uses parables to declare what has been hidden since the beginning of the world. And we discuss three of Jesus' parables, which compare the kingdom of heaven to a field of wheat overplanted with weeds, to yeast leavening bread, and to a mustard seed that grows into a nice shrub where the birds can make a nest. In what way is the kingdom of heaven like these things? We talk about the gleaners in the field who throw the weeds into the furnace, and we wrestle with the role of fear in Jesus' description of the kingdom. But mostly we notice that these parables are about bringing life, the wheat, to the birds, to the bread, and even to the weeds themselves. Maybe the kingdom of heaven is found in nurturing life in everyone we meet. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy. How are you this week? Hello, Bobby. I'm okay. I don't know. Everything's a little crazy. Oh, but I have to tell you a thing. Okay. Because... As you know, I am highly motivated by shame. And I'm if not I sure tell I people <laughs> about my goals, then I will ah. be I will feel accountable to doing them and yeah. ashamed if I do not. So mm. now I have a whole audience. You ready? I'm ready. I am gonna run a thousand miles this year. Whoa. It's really not that much if you divide it up by days. Do you run every day? Uh, I run, I run a lot, not far and not fast, but most days I run. I guess if you run every day of the year, then you've only got to do only three or four miles a day. Oh yeah. Then it's, then it's nothing. The question is how many days do I actually take off without realizing how many days I take off? Right. That's what we're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. I had that goal a few years ago. Do you remember when I was a runner? (laughs) I do. No, you were more of a runner than I was. You ran like real. There was like 18 months when I was a runner. It was right. It was right before my first child was born. Mm -hmm. And I set a goal. I probably shouldn't tell you this. I set a goal that year of running a thousand miles and about nine months into it. No, I uh, got a foot injury. Like maybe I had a stress fracture or something. I had to quit running. Uh, I haven't run since. (laughs) So good luck with that. You you are more prepared I, than I was though, because I went from like I literally went from couch to five k that thing to running half marathons and then training for a marathon in like eighteen yeah. months, and that's not real smart. You've been running f- consistently for a long time, short so. distances for a long time, yeah. and I don't actually I don't think this is going to change what I'm already doing, but it will hold up a mirror to what I'm doing. It'll be a good reality check. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great goal. So we'll check in with well, December December 31st. You're going to be like 30 miles like, short. I don't have time to record. <laughs> you're going to have to go, have to go a, really a long run. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be amazing. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. That's a good one. I don't I I don't have any goals. I don't have any goals for this year. You have young children. Your goal 
is every day to survive. Oh, Lordy. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, we could talk about that more, but we're not going to talk about that more. No, we're not going to talk about that more. We're instead going to talk about Matthew. Uh, We're in chapter 13. We got lots of seeds and weeds. Many types of seeds. Yes. Yes. We're in Matthew chapter 13, 24 to 43. Anyway, I don't know. Like this kind of stands by itself. Anything you Mm. think we should say? What I want to say, actually what I want you to say, because I learned this from you, is how do you think about how do you approach parables? How do you think uh, about parables? Yeah. You have like a way of doing that. I do. I do. It is It is certainly not unique unto me. And I, I feel like the person who has probably been the most influential for me in terms of how I read parables is Amy Jo Levine, who was until recently at Vanderbilt. And she has moved to some other place that I can't remember right now. But oh, anyway, I didn't know that. she's, uh, yeah. So as you well know, she is a Jewish New Testament scholar. And so mm-hmm. she is... Just really interesting in lots of ways. Her approach is something like, you know, parables are stories that are communicating meaning. And so if you just wanted to say the thing, you would have just said the thing. The reason you Mm -hmm. tell a parable is because it opens up possibility. And so there's a multivalence to the parable. Mm -hmm. It is also often the case, and it is the case today, that in the text itself, Jesus will interpret his own parable and tell you what, what, here's what it means. AJ says, maybe what we should do is just hold off on the act, on the interpretation that's given in the gospel mm-hmm. and say like, let's just think about what this parable could mean in its multivalence. Her take on it is the explanations put, say, in the mouth of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew are Matthew's own interpretations of the parables. And that when Jesus told them, and she's assuming that Jesus actually probably did tell these parables, uh-huh. that maybe they meant different things or multiple things. Jesus probably told the same parable more than once. Maybe he used it to represent different things at different times. And so we ought not go overly quickly to the mm-hmm. interpretation, but let the parable kind of breathe for a minute. Mm-hmm. I don't. That's how I want to talk about that today. I don't know if that's the way I talk about it every day or not. I love it. The way you were describing it in the beginning reminded me actually of the way that I was taught to think about ritual. Mm, Like everyone wants to translate the symbols that are used in rituals immediately to this means this and this means this. And it's not that that meaning isn't in there. Right. But if they wanted to just make a statement about things, they could just do that. They're not doing that. (laughs) Exactly. They're intentionally doing something else. And it just really broadens the 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 world of meanings that get p- like put on the table. Yes. Yeah. This is kind of how we tend to read texts anyway, you and I. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we are often reading this way, like trying to open up possibility instead of uh trying to close things down or you know pinpoint things right out of the gate. And so yeah. in some ways it's this is a very familiar process. But I think with parables there is a tendency to want to rush to this equals that. And so we're going to try not to do that today. Yeah. It is interesting. The part that we're skipping in the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus explains why he teaches in parables. And the way, the the way we're in verse 14 to 16, Mm -hmm. 17, Jesus quotes Isaiah where Isaiah says, you will hear, but never understand. You will see, but never recognize what you are seeing. So he talks in parables so that they won't see 
with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds. So there's that's a sense nice. that's not nice. <laughs> He's gonna, Jesus is going to give us a different explanation in the text that we are reading today. But his mm. first explanation is that he talks in parables exactly because the meaning of parables is not obvious. And so he talks in parables to sort of obscure meaning. And you can only mm. sort of really figure out what he's talking about. If I don't know if you're an insider or if you're patient with the parable or if you're yeah. read it through the lens of Jesus or something that's going on there. It does make you put some more skin in the game. Yes. You know, I it's love, not yes. going to. It's not going to just tell you what it means. You're going to have to sit with it for a while. And you are, I find that I am more invested after I've had to do that. Yes. Yeah. The other thing that AJ does that I really love is she just sometimes retitles parables. She's like, the, the parables don't actually have titles right. in the biblical text. And so, for instance, she retitles the parable of the lost sheep to the parable of the inattentive shepherd or something like that. Mm. And you're like, oh. Wow. Like if you think about it from, yeah. So like, it just like, you don't really realize, or at least I don't, how much I've pre understood the parable just by what I call it. And so trying to hold off on calling it anything I think is interesting. Yeah. Now I want to say what parable we're starting with, but I just got through talking about how you shouldn't name the parable. So we're going to begin with a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Jesus is going to interpret this parable for us beginning in verse 36. But you and I have decided in our pre-podcast conversation that we're just not going to talk about Jesus' interpretation until we actually get there in the text. So we're going to hold off till the end of the podcast to talk about the like official interpretation. Yes? Yeah. Suspense. Suspense. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. You're going to have to call me on it when I start. (laughs) I mean, I, I mentioned to you when I was reading through this, the first time, and it got to the explanation. I was like, "No, no, no, wait!" Like, yeah, <laughs> have to yeah. give me a chance to think about this think first. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus has just finished telling them the parable of the sower, and we pick up here in verse twenty-four. And I am reading in the Common English Bible. Jesus told them another parable: the kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalks sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came to him and said, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this, he answered. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, No, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. Okay, so if we just read this as a story about a landowner, a farmer, who's got a field of mixed wheat and weeds, where do you, like, where do you dig into that story as a story? Hmm. I think... Okay. I don't know if this is Okay, so so we could talk about the the mixed field of wheat and weeds. I'm really interested in this role of like I mean, the reality at least in my garden is like the weeds just show up. Like you don't have right. to plant the oh, weeds. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but someone plants them in yes. this story. The enemy plants them. 
and that that's the first just like narrative part of the story that I'm like, yeah. why why does the enemy plant the weeds? Like, what is the intention of the yeah. enemy in planting weeds? Because it doesn't seem like the weeds actually hurt the good grain while it's growing. Although I guess we don't really know that. Because, I mean, if farmers would say to you that weeds are robbing the good plants right. of soil and nutrients all the time, which is probably why the servants want to go and pull them up. So maybe they actually yeah. are making life more difficult. For- yeah, no, that's that's interesting to think about. And then it really has to be sort of a, you weigh the, weigh the pros and cons and say it's going to be more harmful right. to pull them up than to let them be for now. Right. No, I think that's I think that's exactly right. That so what you end up with is a field that could grow better if the weeds were not there. Mm-hmm. But it, but it, you would do more harm and that's exactly what is said here. The owner says, "No, if you go and gather the weeds, you'll pull up the weed along with them." And so you're going to damage the good stuff if you try to pull up the bad stuff. So you should just let it grow even though that's not ideal conditions. That's, you know, yeah. you could imagine a better a better field than that. That's a really helpful image to me, like picturing the ways in which the they share the soil, their roots might be slightly intertwined yeah. with each other. So even if they're working at cross purposes, there's no way, there's no real way to ext- to fully extricate exactly the one without causing a whole lot of damage. That's exactly right. There's a couple of things that are interesting to me at the level of the Greek. One is that the word for weeds is Greek zizanion, which refers to a weed, or at least scholars think it does, a weed that when it's young looks a lot like wheat. And Mm. so you can't, like, just visually, you can't necessarily tell the difference. So maybe their roots are intertwined. Maybe they're close together. So if you tried to pluck up the one, you would damage the other. But also maybe you just can't, maybe you can't tell. really tell which one's which. So you would just have to be sort of using your best guess, yeah. I suppose. The other thing, and it's related to that, is that it's the servants of the man who are asking him if they should pluck up the weeds. The Greek there is douloi. Mm-hmm. The man later says, at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters. And there he's using a term theristes, which actually refers to like, a trained, like one whose profession it is to harvest fields. Mm. He doesn't say, I'll tell you to go out and do it at the yeah. end. He says, there's this other set of people and they are harvest folk and they're going right. to come and do it. Yes. So there's something going on in there about the indistinguishability of weed and wheat and these two separate groups of people who could go out and try to get rid of the weeds. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, yes. I see what you're saying, that it's not just, yeah, that, that, that you need a a particular kind of expertise yes. maybe to clearly discern between what is this particular type of weed yeah and what is wheat and as much as you might want to help like the servants want to help their they intentions do. are all they want to help absolutely but they maybe don't have that level of expertise i think that's exactly right so some so maybe somebody could go out there and separate the weeds from the wheat without yeah. damaging the crop, but you, y'all, Duloy, can't do it. Yeah. It's gotta, yeah. We got to wait for this other set of folks who can do it at harvest time. But that's not how it's phrased. And like it, the landowner doesn't say, 
you don't have the expertise to do it, so don't do it. Right. Gives this other reason that may also be a reason on the table, but yeah, then says, I've got it covered. Like, all, all in good time, this will be taken care of a different way. But yeah, you need to stand down. It depends a little bit on how you read verse 29. Because what he says is, if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the weed along with them. Uh, that might be a little you. bit saying, y'all don't know what pointed. you're doing. Yeah. But it's a gen- it's a gentle. There's, like, it's not like y'all are not very good at, what, at your job. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, like you can read it as it's just really hard to do. Or you can read it as a little, y'all aren't trained well enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And other way of reading it is at the beginning of, at early in the growth cycle, the wheat and these weeds look similar. But when they get to full maturity, you actually can tell the difference. So if you just wait until harvest time, it's mm-hmm. clearer. Then it's mm-hmm. not, you don't know what you're doing, but it's it's not time yet to distinguish. Mm-hmm. We can't tell which is wheat and which is wheat. Nobody could until right. we get to the harvest time. I think you could also read it that way. And then there, that's a little less judgmental of the of the servants. It's so interesting that the issue of distinguishing is not... At least, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the Greek, but it's not explicit, and it's, it's not. it doesn't make it into the translation. That's right. So it's, again, sort of another thing that if this were not told as a parable, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, like maybe that that's another sort of realm of meaning we get. Yeah. There is both the, the issue of the root systems being intertwined yeah. or whatever and causing damage that way, but, yeah, also some more subtlety. You know, I really love that, and holding the multiple possible meanings together I think is important. And you can, you can generate all kinds of things out of that, right? So, you, you know, if you're thinking about this, you know, this begins with the kingdom of heaven is like. So then the mm-hmm. question is, well, okay, we, you and I have been talking about the kingdom of heaven as like a present reality that's going to come in its fullness later. And so, so if we read it that way, then what are we talking about? And then there is a way of reading it, which is to say, you and I are not skilled enough to tell the difference between who actually is inhabiting the kingdom and who is not. That's the sort of like Zizanyon interpretation. But yeah. there is a, what you're working on, I think, is important, which is maybe you actually can tell the difference, but we don't know how to extricate without damaging the root system or without chopping, accidentally chopping down some of the good crop or damaging something like yeah. that. I think it's so interesting that this starts with, I mean, some of this is just like maybe a translational issue or sort of a weird syntactical issue, but. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to, and then it tells this story. Right. I mean, clearly, the way it is in my translation may be compared to someone who sowed good seed. The kingdom of heaven is not being cared, compared to a person. Right, like it's it, being compared to the it's story. It's being compared to this situation. Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe this is like a dumb question, but like, which part, where in this story is the kingdom of heaven? Right. Is it is it the part where like, we live alongside each other and don't try to decide who's the bad guy and rip them up? Or, I mean, certainly I see how the end of the story is that, you know, could be seen as, I don't know what you want to call it, but when everything is made right at some point in the future. I don't know. It's interesting for me to think about what is being pinpointed here in the story as being like the kingdom of heaven. Right. And in sort of what is the instruction that you would take away like oh okay here's how i should then be acting in the world Mm. 
real is related to that question of what yeah what's the takeaway do you have a thought about that i mean i'm thinking back to the last text we talked about i think it was the last text where it was like the speck in you, the speck in someone yes. else's eye and the log in your eye yes. like certainly okay so we've talked about that and we've talked about the idea that there is the kingdom of heaven that is like this thing that is coming in the future that we can't wait for. Yes. And there's also a way of trying to uh, sort of like pull it down to earth by living according to its rules, its ways right now. So I feel like there's some way of saying that like in the now, part of the kingdom of heaven is not trying, it's not your place to rip up the other yes. things and decide what's good and evil. Because you can't tell if you, if you follow because the Ziza Nyon right. interpretation. Yeah, you don't know enough. Mm-hmm. Even though we can all, you know, even though, yes, it's true that there is there are weeds in the world or evil in the world or whatever. I feel like that reading could lead to some kind of weird passivity, but but also we don't have to take it that way. Like, we don't have to take it too far just say it's not it is not your place to judge other people yeah and that would be sort of kingdomly yeah and then of course there's the the time in the future that everything will be made right and the harvesters will sort it all out yeah i really like that interpretation amy and you know one of the questions with parables is always which character am i going to relate to and i like to try Mm -hmm. relating to different characters but to me the servants are the most readily like the the clearest one for me to relate to. And I, and I absolutely agree with your interpretation along those lines of we don't know enough or we don't know how to be careful enough or we're going to do a lot of damage if we try to separate out what we think are the weeds from what we think are the wheat. And so yeah. you shouldn't do that. There is also, I mean, it's not exactly here, but verse 30, let both grow side by side until the harvest you know, but if you're a farmer, you don't actually just let things grow, you know, like you have to tend them and fertilize them and presumably water them. And so there is a more active interpretation, which is just, it's like parable adjacent. Like I'm probably reading in a little bit, but it's actually like you need to tend the weeds and tend the wheat. Like you need to tend the community, even though, you know, some of the community is a weed like you need to let it all grow. And so you need to treat it all the same. So now there's an active interpretation, which is you shouldn't make distinctions even as you're fertilizing and watering and helping, you should help everything grow. Yeah. Yes. I love taking it to that other level of not just don't, don't tear things up, but there's actually no way for you to care for some of the community without, also caring for you know like it's it's all mixed together it just is and you that's not something you need to worry about right now right are there other ways like if you try to identify with a different character in this text (laughs) i don't know if you can i don't want you to identify with the wicked identify with the wheat it's so passive yeah the wheat itself like you're just growing there in the field yeah yeah i'm just minding my own business not doing anything because i'm wheat just trying to grow until somebody can make you into a loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I do think that's an interesting, there are interpretations of this parable, which is like, am I the wheat or am I the weed? And you do some self-examination. Yeah. There are also interpretations which say each each of us has within ourselves the capacity for wheatness mm. and for weedness. And we need to, I don't know quite where you take it. We need, I was going to say you need to nurture what you, what you have in you that is more wheat. But actually, this parable says you should nurture them both. <laughs> so I don't quite know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not where I think uh, that's supposed to end up. But I, I kind of like that idea that mm. internal to ourselves, we are sort of a co-mingling we're of a, Yeah, we're a wheat. mishmash. I mean, that's certainly true to life. Yeah, I think when I say I think of myself as the wheat, it's more like I'm one of the things growing. Yes. And that... I'll talk to you more about this later, but like that makes this a frightening story for me. This is a frightening parable. Because you could either end up in the barn or you could end up in the fire. you don't know which one you are. Mm-hmm. And yes, maybe you're going to the fire. That's very Calvinist of you. I mean, that's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's probably what that's a Calvinist a, would say, that's right? Exactly that's exactly what a Calvinist just would what say. Calvinist would say. Yes. Yeah. You, you are one or the other. There's nothing you can do about it. You don't know which one <laughs> you are. Don't worry. Enjoy your time in the field, and then something else will happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. God. Calvin would have said, if you're worried about it, you're probably probably wheat, because weeds don't worry about whether they're wheat or weeds. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that, the the burning and the gathering at the end? Or did you want to talk about that when we do the interpretation of the parable in a little bit? I mean, I guess I had, I was thinking, yeah, I, I guess I think of it more as an interpretation thing. Because if you're just reading this as the, the plants, then that seems okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once they become maybe humans, then it's, or souls, or I don't know, something else. Then, Right. And we do, we did get introduced as the kingdom of heaven is like. And so it is mm-hmm. clear from the beginning that we're not simply yes. talking about a field. Yes. We are yes. talking about something else. Yeah. I wanted to come back to where you started, which I just ignored for <laughs> until now, which was about the enemy who plants. It is one thing to think of this as like a natural occurrence that weeds just grow in a field and that's the way that it is. It is, as you said, another thing to think about it as there is an enemy who has intentionally co-overseeded this uh, field with weeds. Now that we've talked a little bit about what we might do with this parable, like, what do you do with that aspect of it? It's such a good question. Okay, so it's not just a person and it's not like a prankster or whatever. This is an enemy. Yes. So they're doing this in order to cause you harm or distress. Right. Presumably. Maybe thinking that you won't have the sense not to tear them up. Mm-hmm. And then sort of in this weird, ironic way, you've, so, you've destroyed your own field. Oh, I like that. Or the more simplistic reading of it is just that weeds deprive your stuff of uh, nutrients and light and, you know, all of that. But this story doesn't seem overly concerned with that aspect of mm-hmm. weeds. Yeah, maybe it's some way to try to get you to ruin your own stuff. I really I love that, Amy. You put a point on that that I had not quite thought of, but I, but I like it. Cause you know, if we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, then the sort of natural move to, there is an enemy. I mean, Matthew has been very clear that there are oppositional forces 
-hmm. in the world ever since Herod showed up in chapter two. And so, you know, you're immediately thinking about the reign of Rome or the kingdoms of the earth, or you're thinking about Satan who tempted Jesus in the wilderness and how, Mm -hmm. like, those are related. And so there is an oppositional force in the world that's trying to mess with you. And that's just the, that's just the way it is. But I love that next move that you're making about part of the way that it works is that you then think you can separate it out. And so you do harm to your own field, trying mm-hmm. to get rid of the, the presence of the, of the other. Oh, that does, that's so creepy. <laughs> you and I are having very different responses to, to it, but yeah. I'm scared myself. Like I yeah. used to do with Ouija boards, like I'm, I used to like put, I was the one, I'm sure we all were the one at some point that would like push the thing and the Ouija yeah. board and I would make it say scary things. And then I would get so scared I'd have to get picked up in the middle of the night. You would scare yourself? I would scare myself. That is funny. Hi, I'm Terry Peterson, minister of St. John's Church of Scotland in Gurich, west of Glasgow on the Scottish coast. And I am the liturgy writer for Bible Worm, which means I get to spend a lot of time listening to Bobby and Amy, and that is a great joy. It is fascinating to hear them read and talk through stories I thought I knew pretty well since I'm starting my third time through the narrative lectionary now. I always come away with more ideas than I can fit into a liturgy or a sermon, and working with them has deepened my own spiritual life as I write liturgy that follows the contours of their conversations. I appreciate that they don't shy away from the difficult parts, and that they always find connections between these ancient texts and our contemporary life. And it's fun for me to work those connections into liturgy that empowers worshiping communities to speak to and about God in new ways. If you join the Bible Worm Patreon at the Liturgy Worm level or higher, you'll have access to those liturgies and prayers that you can use or adapt, as well as early access to the podcast. Or there are other levels with different benefits, including Bible studies, access to the Bible Worm Collaborative Discussion Group, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast to help Bobby and Amy continue creating this incredible resource for people of faith around the world. And now back to this week's podcast. All right, Amy. Well, Matthew's going to come back to this parable and and have Jesus interpret it for us down here in verse 34 or 36. But in the meantime, he's going to tell, have Jesus tell us two other parables I say yes. Matthew's going to have Jesus do this, not like, you know, not like Matthew's like the puppeteer and Jesus is his little marionette. <laughs> Jesus, tell us a parable. Matthew has arranged these in a certain kind of a way, right? And mm-hmm. so they are arranged differently elsewhere in other gospels. And so Matthew has uh, chosen some of these stories that Jesus tells and he's put them together in this particular way in order to do something. It is very tempting for me at this moment to skip down to verse 36 and just say, let's talk about the interpretation that Jesus gives. But if you were a reader or a hearer of this gospel, that's not how it would go. You would hear these other two stories before you heard the interpretation of the first one. So that's the way we're going to proceed, even though it's going to drive me a little bit crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Every ounce of my being wants to skip to verse 36. Wants to skip. Okay. Picking up in verse 31. 
he told another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. Okay, I'm just going to stop there and let that mm-hmm. parable be itself. So here we have a tiny little mustard seed. Turns into a big vegetable plant. Also a tree. <laughs> yeah. Where do you start digging into this one? I mean, I feel like that what, what seems like it, the sort of obvious place to start is that it starts as the tiniest thing. Yeah. And grows to be the biggest. Mine says the greatest of shrubs. The I love that interpretation. <laughs> it's also, it is the greatest shrub. Shrub. <laughs> <laughs> and also a tree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a tree, too. Yeah. You know, so it's this this small, tiny thing that becomes grand. Yes. Kind of grand. I, my recollection is that Mark's version of this parable calls it a shrub. Luke's version of this parable calls it a tree. And Matthew, Mm, as is his way. That's so interesting. It's a shrub and a tree. Yeah. But I mean, it made made me laugh. But then I actually think that's really interesting. That like, it really became like a, it's a pretty impressive shrubbery. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's not like a red oak or a, you know, one of the redwood trees of the mere woods or whatever. It's a, like, it's a nice shrub. You got a nice yeah. shrub out of it. Yeah. I don't know whether you're supposed to make something out of that or not, but like this tiny seed grew into a redwood tree is feels different than this tiny seed grew into a, a nice sized shrub, which I'm going to talk about as a tree. Does it feel different to you? You know what I'm saying? You're looking at me like, <laughs> like a- yeah, I mean, yes. And, and I'm trying to picture like, First of all, I, I'm just the worst at growing anything. So the idea that a tiny seed would grow into a shrub is actually quite amazing. It's amazing. That would be quite amazing. Yeah. And then it's almost like a shrub that is so unexpectedly grand yes. for for what it is that it's it might as well have been an oak. Like yes. it, you know, that it's yeah, it's kind of nice to get along the way that. It's still a mustard seed. I mean, mustard is a particular kind of plant. It's not going to turn into like a yeah. Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. Some of the um, the commentaries I was reading suggested that a mustard plant, I don't know that much about mustard, just to be honest with you. I mean, I like <laughs> it. <laughs> I like it occasionally on a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Me too. But generally speaking i am i am not particularly literate in the ways of mustard but <laughs> the commentaries i read read were suggesting maybe 8 10 12 feet tall something like that which is fairly impressive mm-hmm. from a little tiny i mean it's, a, it's an impressive shrub from a little tiny yeah. seed yeah and so i think that this parable is exactly getting at that this little tiny thing can become this more impressive thing but I like what you were saying there, with, which is, like, let's just let a 12-foot mustard plant be impressive instead of, like, wishing it were a redwood. Yeah. And if you read it that way, then you end up with something like, the kingdom of heaven is like a little seed that turns into something fairly impressive. Could yeah. you imagine more impressive things? Yes. But this still, like, it's still amazing. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that exactly, but that's kind of where my head goes with this one. 
I mean, I think, yeah, and that and that we can be impressed. It's it's like the um oh my god, this sounds this could be like a weird one of those weird motivational posters, but it's like this mustard seed has like fully realized its potential as a mustard seed. Yes. It has not changed into something else. Yes. But it is a fantastic example of mustard shrubbery. Yeah. I love that. And so if it can, if it thinks about itself for what it is as a mustard plant, then it's like, yeah, I did my thing. If you it compares itself really to well. other plants in the in the forest, it might think I'm not I'm not like that big old tree over there and it could feel bad about itself. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it doesn't. Like here's what I'm what I'm after is maybe the kingdom of heaven is like something that's really impressive given its starting point. Mm. But it's not always going to look like the most magnificent thing you could imagine. It's going to yeah. look like an impressive shrubbery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is making me think of this very, I don't know, very strange, like little snapshot memory that I don't know why I've held on to it, probably because I laughed at myself so hard. But I was going for a walk and I saw, I like to look at, you know, look for pretty birds or whatever. And there was this bird, brown bird, sitting in a tree. And this thought came to my mind, that poor bird is so boring looking. And then I just started (laughs) laughing at myself. I was like, what is the matter with me? And thank God that bird does not think it is boring looking. Like, (laughs) that bird is doing a great job just doing its bird thing. Yeah. And it just makes me laugh all the time now when I see birds that I find unimpressed, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, you're just a bird, but um, that there's there's beauty and grandeur in birds that are not bright red or blue yes. or, you know, exotic. It doesn't have to be exotic to be. That's exactly it. Just right. Yeah. For me, that's helpful if you're thinking about like, in what way, what does it mean if the kingdom of heaven is like that and you have been invited to participate in this kingdom of heaven? You know, the range of what that's going to look like is somewhere between a tiny little mustard seed and a fairly nice shrubbery. Mm-hmm. And so you 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 need to learn to be satisfied or impressed by something that may not be bright red or a beautiful blue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but something that seems a little bit plain. That, that is itself. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make this story a little, well, I don't know. I started thinking about our conversations about anava, that that Hebrew word that means like humility, but it's not quite humility. It's more like, you know, right-sizedness, being aware of how much space you take up in the world. And now I'm liking that this sort of lens on it, that like this this is a story of a seed that became everything that was right for it to become. Yes. I love that. So the the 8 to 12 foot mustard plant is is its right size. If it was bigger than that, it would be taking up too much space. If it had remained merely a tiny seed, it would not have realized its potential. I love that, Amy. Anava is transforming my view of the world. (laughs) So I'm curious what you do with the birds that show up at the end of this Mm. little parable. First, it's said to be a, a nice vegetable plant, and then it becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky may come and nest in its branches. That was not necessarily when we started talking about planting a mustard seed where I thought that was going to go. What do you do with the appearance of the birds in this story? Well, 
here's where I went when I read it initially. And then I, I had another thought while we were just having this conversation. But I think part of the, I mean, grandeur is probably too big of a word, but part of the awesomeness really, which is just another word for grandeur, of this tree is that it becomes a refuge for other creatures. Like that's how you know, that's how you know it made it. Yes. You know, not that it's the most, it's the tallest tree and casts such a long shadow that nothing around it can survive or, you know, like, or what's impressive about it is in part that it, it's a, a home for other creatures. Exactly. So that's a nice model of what, you know, a uh, worthy or, I don't know, a kind of power that I, I can get behind. Mm. What do you what do you do with the birds? Well, I like where you were headed. There are resonances in that image with Hebrew scripture texts like Ezekiel and Daniel, which view mm. the kingdom of heaven exactly or or God's reign exactly as a tree that shelters birds and other animals. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I like that image of how you know you've made it is that it provides shelter for others. I think that is. I think that's right, and I think that has a long history in the tradition. That it's a mustard plant and not a massive tree. Again, I think that's important. That it's, you know, it's it's not the sort of massive tree that Ezekiel envisioned, but it's this little plant, and yet it's doing this thing. I think I think those two together are important. The other thing, I don't know what you're going to think about this because, mm-hmm. in some sense, it's exactly the opposite <laughs> of that, but. Uh, like I was trying to imagine why someone planted a mustard seed. And the yeah. reasons that I can come up with were they like to eat mustard mm-hmm. or that mustard has medicinal properties. Mm. I don't think they planted the mustard seed so so birds could live in it. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong about that. Maybe people do mm-hmm. plant mustard so a bird could live in it. But so then I'm playing with this idea of it's like somebody who intended something for one purpose but it ended up serving a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Interesting. I, I don't quite know where to go with that, but it, it just keeps coming to me as this is, this is what's happening here. Yeah. So it's not that there was anything wrong with the first purpose. No, no, not at all. But just that it's always bigger than what you know of, you know, like you're, yeah. you have your purpose for doing it, but it's, it always winds up bigger than what you, what you understood mm-hmm. going into it. Yeah, it's much more complex than that. I like that. I like or that maybe what the purpose you intended for it wasn't the actual purpose for which it was intended yeah. in the bigger yes. picture. You think you're doing yes. one thing. You're actually doing something totally different. Yeah. You might even think those birds are pests. Right. But there they are, and that's the kingdom of heaven. So then you get something like you're trying to build something, and it ends up being welcoming to people that you didn't intend for it or creatures you didn't intend for it to be welcoming to. And you might think like, oh yeah, I don't like that. But instead, like that's exactly how you know that it's Mm. done its job is that it provided refuge for for other beings. You're helping me think, Bobby, about, again, this this first statement here, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Mm -hmm. And I just realized a moment ago that I was kind of picturing myself as the mustard seed or a person as the mustard seed. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But when you say the kingdom of heaven is the mustard seed, Mm -hmm. 
That's really interesting to think about. It's not some crazy grand oak and it's and it may have a an actual purpose that is different than what I don't know who it is who gets to plant the kingdom of heaven, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I guess I don't even have reflections on that yet. I just realized that I'm reading that the mustard seed is people within the kingdom, but it says it is the kingdom itself. I don't know. Maybe there's something about not, how how can we even separate those two? Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I like about the parables as we were talking about, and you can kind of move around in them a little bit. So like the image that comes to my mind is something like Mercy Church, which we, which I planted Mm -hmm. and it grew into a, you know, kind of a small thing, but it was authentically itself and mm-hmm. it was doing its thing, but it wasn't impressive. Like if you compared it to second Presbyterian church of little rock, you would think, Oh, look at that little tiny community, mm-hmm. but it was mm-hmm. what it was meant to be. It was, it was impressive in its own regard. It brought in some people that I did not like. <laughs> I, I mm-hmm. wished that they were not there. And yet I had to be constantly recommitted to the idea that that was, those were the people who needed to be there. The people who were drawn to it were the people who needed to be there. I might think that they're freaking birds in my mustard mm. uh, garden, but that's who's meant to be there. And so that's kind of the way I have tended to think about it is, you know, people of faith p- try to plant instances of the kingdom mm-hmm. of heaven, whether that's a church mm-hmm, or a community mm-hmm. or a nonprofit yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. And it, it might not end up being very impressive. It might not end up doing what you thought it was going to do, but nonetheless, it is. It's providing, it's doing something in the world that you can't really control. That's kind of yeah. where my head goes. That is, then that's, that's hard. Mm, absolutely. When you're the one who planted the seed and had a vision for what it could be. And then it does grow into something lovely that is just itself, but it is not, you can't control it once you've planted it, you know? Right. And it's not impressive. I struggle with that. Uh, it's not impressive enough that people are going to notice it. I like, I like to be noticed, you know? <laughs> um, so if you do That's small why you dress things. just like Liberace, Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Somebody once referred to me as the Johnny Cash of homeless ministry because I almost wear, almost always wear very dark clothes. My students told me that I dress like a rain, like a thunderstorm. You dress in all the colors of a thunderstorm. <laughs> That's kind of like dark blues and grays. Every once in a while, like a little bit of a light blue. Anyway. Interesting. Okay, picking up in verse sequence. Yeah, okay, yeah. Picking up in verse thirty-three, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through all the dough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What, What you got? What does that tell us about the kingdom of heaven? Okay, well, I have two observations about yeast and flour. One is that. Yeast on its own isn't very useful, Mm -hmm. but it really like fundamentally changes the equation for the, you know, it fundamentally changes what can come out of this flower. So they, it, it, it influences the flower. I don't know. That's a weird word to, weird word to use, but so that, that's sort of one. And then the, this is sort of a more abstract image, I guess, but I think of yeast as having this almost like breathing quality of it, like mm. making something come al- like oxygenating something or making oh, it I love come that. alive. Yeah. 
that, uh, I don't know, it's, it, it made me think of ideas of like the, the spirit and the, yeah. you know, in your puffy bread. That's all I've got for yeast and flour, Bobby. What, how do you think about this? No, I love that, Amy. I mean, it was reminding me of a conversation we had last week about you are the salt of the earth or whatever mm-hmm. that one was. We and, had a baking class. <laughs> yeah. And so what we had talked about there is like spices are a very small part of a larger mm-hmm. reality, but if, yes. but it'll be very bland without them. Yeah. And so as the kingdom of heaven, you're like that spice. Like you're you're a small little thing, but it affects the whole mm-hmm. whatever, it's stew. Mm-hmm. This to me seems very similar to that. Yeast mm-hmm. is very small. It affects the whole. I love where you went with the oxygenating, enlivening, making it grow, making it multiply. And the fact that yeast by itself is ye- kind of useless. Like I love all of that. Because then it says, like, you're the kingdom of heaven and you're the yeast and you just, like, sit on the sidelines. Mm. Nothing. You actually need the, you need the flour and the other stuff. Yeah. The water. Um, and so you got to get in the mix. And you might be a small, like, it's a little bit of yeast and a bushel of flour. So you feel really insignificant. But it's going to yeah. change everything. It's going to enliven everything. I, lo- I love I that. like that a lot. You sort of slipped in there, I think. The idea that like the the yeast is people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. the faithful or or whatever. Yeah, and I had been thinking of it as as some kind of like divine quality. I don't know the spirit or something like that. Which yeah. it it gets it doesn't go as you gave it better legs. Like what does this actually mean? Yeah, I like thinking about people as the yeast mm-hmm. and the flower. People living a certain kind of people living out the yes. gospel, which is living out yeah. the Torah. So it so it does have a religion, like it does have a spiritual component. Yes, to right. It. it is yes, right. It's but just it's, that it is contained in the body of people. It is inspirited people. Yes, that's yes. the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. The other thing I love about this image, first of all, if you think of the person who planted the the field in the first one is God and the person who planted the mustard seed in the second one is God, then here you would think of the woman who put the mm-hmm. yeast in the Mm-hmm. A flower as God, and so uh, mm-hmm. I. Anytime there's a feminine image yeah. of the divine, I really yeah. want to hold yeah. on to that. Yes, yes. The second thing is that she's making bread, and even though it's not really told here, like what's going to come out of this yeastiness is the capacity to feed people, mm-hmm. and so it's something that lend, extends even yet again beyond itself. So the yeast enlivens the flower, which then feeds mm-hmm. people. And so it's like it just keeps multiplying it on its own in a way that ultimately is sustaining for for more people than just... Um, I mean, this, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading suggested this is probably like 50 pounds of flour and maybe it could feed, you know, several hundreds of people. And I don't mm. I don't know how to do that, the Greek math. <laughs> there, yeah, but, right. Uh, so it's, it's like she's making bread for more That's than just herself- or her family. It makes my arms tired to even think about yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we get this description of why Jesus teaches in parables in verse 20, uh, sorry, in verse 34, uh, 35. Jesus said all these things to the crowds in parables, and he spoke to them only in parables. This was to fulfill what the prophets spoke. I'll speak in parables. I'll declare what has been hidden since the beginning of the world, which is a quotation of Psalm, depends on which text you're in, but either Psalm 77 
or Psalm 78, whether you're reading the Hebrew, the MT, the Masoretic text, or the Septuagint. That explanation of parables, satisfying to you? It's better than I talk in parables so you won't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> which is what yeah, she had said earlier. Yeah, it is earlier. better than that. It mm-hmm. is better than that. I mean, I do like the sort of idea, I guess, that if you're really trying to proclaim something that has been, my translation is, hidden from the foundations of the world, mm-hmm. I don't know. what it, it, Those are things that you can't just, just like, use blunt language. Yes. Say, like, I'm just going to tell you. Like, here's the thing. Like, yes. it's it's more complicated than yes. that. Like, these are, these are big things that we sort of, like, gesture towards in all kinds of different ways. But you can't just, like, write an equation down and say, that's it. Yes. That I think is true. I think yes. there are some things that you can't you can't say it simply. Yes. I think that's exactly right. And I mean, even in just what we've read just now, like the kingdom of heaven has been described using three different parables. Yeah. And a fourth one, if you go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 13, and they do not say exactly the same thing, right? So yeah. it's not even the case that one parable can capture this deep meaning. It's there's a thing that we're trying to talk about that you can't exactly talk about. Yeah. And so you have to gesture toward it and try to inhabit it and try to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. And and that's where the deep meaning resides. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the very end, it's just interesting the way this passage is structured because now, now we're going to get the explanation of the first parable that we read, even mm-hmm. though we've had to wait through these other two parables and the explanation of parables before we get to talk about it. And is this the only one he explains? He explained the first one, the, the parable of the sower, which he told Yeah, the one that we didn't read, but out, didn't out read. of the ones we have read today. But he only, only explains one. the parable of the weeds here. Okay. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the one who plants the good seed is the human one, The field is the world. The good seeds are the followers of the kingdom, but the weeds are the followers of the evil one. The enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. The harvesters are the angels. Just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. The human one will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. He will throw them into the burning furnace People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Those who have ears should hear. Mm. So the first thing I want to notice is just we've, we've shifted scenes. Jesus was outside mm-hmm. with his disciples, but talking to the crowds. Now he's gone inside and the disciples say, can you explain that parable to us? <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting, like <laughs> there's an insider about? outsider <laughs> thing going on here. Yeah. What do you do with that? I don't know. I think it, it can help me think about sort of what the how the disciples see their relationship to Jesus at this point. Yeah. Like, you know, I reading this text would be like, you can't ask Jesus questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if you you don't want to look stupid, like Yeah. But I think there's actually something really lovely and I don't know, empowering that like they don't understand what was said. Yes. And so they just ask, and Jesus just tells them. Yes. And that's, I don't know, maybe we should ask more. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't understand. You may yeah. or may not get the answer, but like it's just so straightforward. Yes. There's yeah, they don't get scolded for not understanding. They yeah. don't get anything. They just get an answer. They get exactly yeah. what they asked for. And I think that's exactly right. And it it sort of reinforces this idea that nobody is able to really understand what Jesus yeah. is talking about of their own accord. It's not just that there's some people who get it and some people who don't. Yeah. It's that yeah. there's some people who are willing to ask and some people who either aren't willing to ask or, or aren't invited into the house, I guess, where they mm-hmm. where they can ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, the disciples have achieved nothing other than their willingness to ask a question and hear the yeah. answer from Jesus. Yeah. When you read Jesus's explanation of the parable, are there things in there that surprised you? Like, did you feel like we kind of got it right? Or how did, how do you think about the way that interpretation maps onto the parable itself? Mm. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, first, I just, I don't know, I guess I need to say that um, this is, this, I'm like, oh, you shouldn't have told me. Like, I sort of got it. Like, I feel like I got it, but putting it this plainly is really, like, provokes an entirely different emotional response from me that is overwhelming Mm. and I think probably distract, maybe distracting or maybe harmful from what, like, this Reading this explanation made me understand why you shouldn't just give a key to every parable because now it's now it's a terrifying story to me. Yes. I mean, it hadn't occurred to me that the reapers were angels, but I feel like the rest of it I had we had like pretty much I I think I think we got it. I think we would have gotten it. <laughs> it's hard for me to know about myself because I've read this before. And so I, you know, I know what Jesus is going to say before I read the parable. And so I can't always tell like what's me reading the parable and what's me just yeah. leaning forward into the interpretation that I already know. I was not surprised by the interpretation other than just how, how overwhelming it was to read the interpretation just as like bullet points like this. It's so interesting that if you had kind of already gotten there in just reading the parable, that then yeah. you would have a such a different response to the explanation. Is it? Is it about this? I mean, I guess now instead of throwing, is it that now instead of throwing weeds into the fire, which is like, I mean, that's a perfectly fine place for weeds. He's throwing people, and there's weeping and gnashing teeth and all of that. Is that is that what's making? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I could see the weeds as more like, maybe I saw the weeds as being a little more abstract before as like the things in the world that are harmful or forces that could lead you astray or, you know, such and such. But uh, making them people and then people that are planted by the devil. Yes. I I have trouble with devil stuff in general, I think, but- you know, the idea that's, that some people are planted by the devil is harsh. Yes. No, I absolutely agree with you. And when I think about devil stuff, which I actually have made my peace with over the last number of years, yeah, I tend to talk about institutions and systems that yeah. deceive people. And so there, yeah. there are people who have come under the sway of satanic, I don't I don't really use that yeah. word that much, but the uh, forces of evil in the world. But that's different than saying the people themselves 
are planted by the devil and that they deserve to burn, which I think is what this parable is actually saying. So I I share that. I share that with you. The the binary thinking of some people are good and some people are bad. Some people were planted by God or by Jesus and some people were planted by the devil. Like I, I worry a lot about that. It is mitigated in this parable with the recognition that nobody other than the angels knows who is who, and therefore we have to treat each other all yes. e- treat each, all of each other yes. as though we are all wheat. Mm-hmm. And so, like our job is not to make these distinctions, not to threaten anybody, not to judge anybody, not to burn anybody, but actually to nurture the whole. I like that. Yeah. And then the sense that God's going to sort things out at the end. Like, okay, that makes sense to me too. Mm-hmm. But the actual thinking about the sorting. The sorting. Yeah. I also, like, I, so the son of the, uh, the human one in the Common English Bible is their interpretation of what is often read as the son of man, which mm-hmm. is a reference yeah. to Jesus, probably related to Daniel chapter seven when the messianic figure comes out of heaven and receives the kingdom, uh, the keys to the kingdom. I, my own reading tended to think of the sower as God and yes, not as Jesus. I agree. Mm-hmm. And the God made space. I mean, honestly, the God made space for you where the son of man interpretation seems to maybe not make space for people who are not followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you have to read it that way, but this that's one of the ways in which this interpretation makes me squirmy in a mm-hmm. way that the parable did not, uh, was the parable made space for more people to I, to find themselves in the in the barn, I think, than the interpretation does. Yeah, I will say that this verse forty three, the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom, which is reminiscent of Daniel chapter twelve, where those who rise from the dust shine like stars in the heavens. In this gospel that we've been reading, and there's always this struggle between the righteous and the unrighteous, or the ways of the kingdom and the ways of the world. And it's been all been all about suffering and persecution. And then suddenly you get this image of the righteous shining like the sun. It's a really nice image that all, all of this doing rightly in the world eventually results in one like being able just to fully shine your light. Yeah. I, I like that image a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that fits really nicely with that. You mentioned the salt from the last time we were reading and that also had a little like lamp that you're not supposed to put under the pillow or whatever it said. Yeah. It didn't say pillow, but something like that. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. uh, bushel basket, I think it was. Hiding yeah, the under bushel, a bushel basket. I don't have a bushel basket no. in my house, so yeah. I forgot about that. I grew up with bushel baskets because my dad, is a, he's not really a farmer, he's, he's a, but he's a gardener, like had a big old garden. All right, Amy, we have talked about many things and we have approached this idea of the kingdom of heaven from several different angles. Mm. What do you want to take away as we're reading it for contemporary life? I'm going to tell you the thought that's at the top of my mind right now that maybe isn't the most important one, but it comes from this last, from the sort of key that Jesus gives us at the end. And it's sort of a, I mean, it comes from the question, should this parable frighten us? Mm. And is there a role for fear in the work of pulling people toward Mm. the kingdom of heaven? Mm -hmm. I mean, if we believe that the ways in which the empire can like 
you know, reward and punish us and can really like, we keep saying like, this is hard work, y'all. This is hard. Everything around you is telling you to go towards the kingdom. You're going to suffer. And so I can see how fear, (laughs) fear can, like putting some fear on the other side of things can, you know, I don't know, maybe create a sense of urgency that is needed. Yes. To motivate right action. Yes. I just, like, after all the nuanced and beautiful urging and insisting that we've read to this point, I, like, my honest response to the key is, like, it just seems so crass. Like, don't, mm. don't necessarily do it because it's right and beautiful, but do it because otherwise you're going to be burned in a fire. Like, right. I don't, I don't know. I just, I think I just want to, I think I just want to sit with the question myself, like, is there a role for fear in this work? And and fear not just for the sake of scaring people. Like, this is really what this author believes to be true. He's telling people something true. This is a warning. This is not just a scary story. But it really, really changes. It really changes things for me mm-hmm. to have this factored in. And, yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't it, it like it's so bright. I feel like it cancels out all this like delicate yes. not cancels out, but like we've had all this delicate, beautiful yes. stuff. And then it's like you know, there's this hammer yes. <laughs> that comes out and, and yes. I'm having trouble holding figuring out how to hold both of those. So that's that's not exactly something that'll, you know, <laughs> that'll preach, but it's a question to I don't know. It's just a question. I think that's a really important question, urgently important. I spend a fair amount of time trying to make sense of the New Testament book of Revelation. And one of the things that I have become convinced of there is that God is more merciful than the author of Revelation wishes God were. (laughs) Mm, And, you know, when we're talking about parables and how they get uh, incorporated into gospels and, you know, my own approach to biblical texts is they are some amalgamation of divine truth and, and human frailty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so one way that I try to deal with that is, is by saying the parables here are gesturing toward one kind of open thing. And Matthew puts a very fine judgmental point on it at the end. And so I just kind of want to suggest that maybe God is more merciful than Matthew wishes God were. That's not in the text. Mm -hmm. That's in my sort of wishful interpretation of the text. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the parables themselves, I think you're exactly right, are much more generous than the explanation of the parable. That's really helpful to think about. Thank you. Along those lines, I mean, I'm just still struck by like every single one of these parables. If the question is like, what do they have in common? Mm. What they seem to have in common is that there's a little, there's a group whose job is to bring more life, more sustenance more something to uh, something outside of itself, right? So you've got the servants in the first one whose job is not only to nurture the wheat, but also to nurture the weeds. And if you view yourself as one of the servants, then your job is just to bring life to the world. Just go out there, make sure it all thrives. Is that a weed? I don't care. I don't know. It's not my job to sort it out. I'm going to help that weed grow 
on the off chance that it's wheat, but even just if I know it's a weed, I'm going to make it grow because the boss told me not to try to make a distinction. There's somebody coming later is going to make that choice, not on me. Mm-hmm. My job, bring life. Similarly, I think with the parable of the tree, like maybe maybe you planted it for because you wanted a mustard on your sandwich and suddenly there's a mm. bird living in it. <laughs> and, you, and you're like, wow, like that bird's got a home now and I can eat a dry sandwich, you know, like <laughs> create things that provide shelter and life for others. Even if you didn't know that's what you were doing or even if that's not necessarily what you wanted to be doing. That's the kingdom of heaven. Or as you are so beautifully pointing out with the parable of the yeast, that the yeast itself is pointless until it gets mixed in with the with the flour and then it brings life to the whole. It just doesn't just hang out with other yeast and bring life to other yeast, but it brings a whole new way of being to everything around it. Like if you think about like that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, bring yeah. life, bring uh, sustenance, bring uh, new air to mm-hmm. everything around you and don't worry about the outcomes. That's not your job. Mm-hmm. That is really, really lovely and powerful. I love that. I love that. And it's amazing how how complicated we can make it in our heads <laughs> when we try to do otherwise. Okay, Amy. Well, next week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 17, 8, which is the story of the transfiguration along with some other things that's going to give us a different sort of spin, I hope, on a text that we've read together a couple times already. I like that story. That's the one that's like a Tide commercial, right? It's exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's a Tide commercial. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> I look forward to it. All right. I'll see you then, Amy. Thanks. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for helping to make this podcast possible. Join us next week when we'll read the story of the Transfiguration as told in Matthew 16, 24 through 17, 8. Until then, keep on digging.